We've been working through the Gospel of Matthew, and last week we were in the same text that we're in this week. Um, we're just going to hit a different part. Last week we had talked uh, specifically about how the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that had descended on Jesus in the baptism that we see that picture there, how that Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And we kind of talked a little bit about um, how you and I can deal with temptations, trials, or, or, or the wilderness itself, a dry, desolate place, how we can deal with that um, mainly because God gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit to, to, to live out, and we talked about who he was, who the Holy Spirit was to each and every one of us, and how, how Jesus was somehow so much more stronger with him in, in him, and we don't necessarily understand fully how that relationship worked. But, but it got me thinking about this week, and, and obviously there's, there's three temptations. We know a little bit of the story. We heard it last week that... That the difference between temptation and, and testing is tempting is, is Satan or enemy trying to take us to, to ruin our faith. Testing God allows and, and God does um, to improve or to show um, more of who Jesus is and to strengthen us, never to, to ruin us. So the question that I chewed on all week before we get into these temptations and these trials that, that, that Jesus at some point sat his disciples down and shared because no one else was with him. But before we get into those, and as pragmatic as those are and as applicable those are to life, I wanted to real quickly talk about the wilderness again and us being led to the, into the wilderness. So the, the, then the question that I was chewing on all week was, okay, so if Jesus is led to the wilderness, to this dry, desolate place to be tested, then, then are we too? And so um, a, couple, uh, a couple spots that we see this in the scripture, Deuteronomy 8, 2 says, and you shall remember the whole, and this is speaking to Israel, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years into the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so it's interesting. You hear this, you're like, okay, so he's testing us to, to see if we're going to be faithful. And Israel just, again, just so we know, Israel is are God's chosen people, and in, in the new covenant in Jesus Christ, we are Israel. So we are those chosen people. We are God's chosen children if we are in Christ. And so that is absolutely applicable to us. But, but when you read it that way, you just kind of feel like he threw him out there and say, gave him a piece of paper and said, okay, now fill the right answers out and let's see if you're faithful or not. But that's not really what he's doing. In fact, we see in Hosea um, 2, 14, 17, again, talking about Israel, says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will entice her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor, or a dead, dry, desolate place, a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. My Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from, your, from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. Baal was an was a agriculture god, was a, was a god that, that because they were a weather god, because they were into agriculture, they, they started to worship in Israel. And essentially, Baals represent these false idols in, in all of us. And the people of Israel had started following or worshiping these false idols. And so, so right here, we see that God is going to take us into the wilderness, not to just test us, but to, to strip us of the false idols and put us in a place where he can call us or where we can call him our husband. He, he puts the most intimate relationship in place. In fact, in the most dry, desolate places, he's going to plant vineyards and bring life. In fact, Israel or us um, being led into the wilderness was for God to speak kindly to us to plant vineyards so when you're in, a, in in the wilderness when you're led to the wilderness it's not so god just drops you off and says good luck have fun it's no he's he's, he's doing something where he's gonna he's gonna strip you of the false idols in fact first peter 1 
6 through 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, this faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, at the completion of Jesus Christ. So these tests, these trials are, are, are a part of a bigger picture, praise and honor and glory at, at, at who Jesus Christ is. So maybe you find yourself in, in the wilderness and you find yourself and you're like, okay, I, I, I'm in this spot. Or you find yourself continually attacked or, or tested or tempted or whatever word you want to use by the same thing over and over and over again. Or you're in this, this dry, desolate place. And you're saying, okay, I get it. So maybe God led me here. Well, how do I get out? How do, how do I move from this spot so that it is proving my faith, which is more valuable than precious gold? So that it is a way that, that God's glory is, is, is brought immensely to Jesus Christ. How do I do this? And that's where this section gets very pragmatic because our King, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, tells this, this story of, hey, this is what happened and here is how he attacks these temptations. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this again, but before we get super applicable, I want to remind you that he is led by the Spirit. So just like you and I are to be led by the Spirit, that means the Spirit is there, the Spirit is with him, just like the Spirit is with us and there wherever you are. So whatever application you may be able to have, it all needs to start with the fact that you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. If we move past that, we lose that, that whole point. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will pass one out. Um, this is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. We read it all last week, and I'm just going to read it again. This is right after um, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and, serve, and him alone, him only shall you serve. Then the, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And so again, we know that, that Jesus was out here for 40 days, 40 nights, and that he was being tempted the entire time, not just these three, but we, we get the account of these three, and I think they're incredibly applicable, incredibly applicable to, to us today, to, to American Christianity. And first, before we do it, I want to just clarify something. When Satan says, and every time he says, if you are the Son of God, he's actually, the way that that word translates is saying, since you are the Son of God. So he's, he's acknowledging you're the Son of God, but, but now prove it. Or he's acknowledging you're the Son of God now, and we'll get into that in a second, but he basically is acknowledging he is the Son of God. And here's the, here's the key. All three responses end up with, or start with three words. What are those three words? All three responses. This is, you can say it. What does he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. So before I even get into this text, I want to pause on that. If we're called to be like Christ, and we're called to, to, to live a life that looks like him, 
and you and I are going to in, fall into temptation. We're going to struggle with testing. We're going to be led in the wilderness. It's probably a good start for us to, to understand what's written. What's written? See, Jesus doesn't just come at him with his divine. He could. He could squash Satan right there. I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm somehow I fit as God in divineness. I'm still holy, fully man, but I have his Holy Spirit. He could have squashed him by any of those powers, but he goes to the word of God to do it. So this begs the question, if at home, you guys, and maybe this is a bad analogy because of the electronic, but if you have to wipe off dust to find your bubble, like you just, you've never spent any time in it, you're a sitting duck. If you're, if you're in the wilderness right now and you don't know what's going on and you don't know what God's word says, man, you are so susceptible to, to falling. You're literally, you are, you, are, you are falling. In fact, Satan, it's interesting, when he comes to, any of his, when he comes to Jesus, he doesn't tempt him with, with lust or, 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 or um, money or any of those other things. He tempts him with, with misconstruing and twisting God's word. He tempts him with the very thing that you and I are to know so well that when it comes, we can say, it is written. But you can't say that if you don't spend any time in God's word. We're called to be chewing on this, not just pick a Bible plan reading and say, I read through it every single year, and, and that's great, and that's, that's awesome. But get to know this stuff. Chew on it. Dig in it. This is the biggest problem that all of us have as Christians in America is we all know we've read the Bible. We've heard the sermon. We've, I've heard that before, and so we just pretend like we know enough about it, yet it says that it's the inspired word of God, <laughs> living and active. So it, it, just that's free before we get into this, but it, it is written as Jesus' response to every single one of these temptations. And he's been fasting for 40 days. Fasting is important. This is another aspect that doesn't necessarily have to do with where we're going, but it, in a way it does. Fasting is, is, is generally was a means of focusing intently on prayer. So, so they would fast. It's a spiritual discipline. It's something that I think that, that is kind of lost amongst most Christians today, but fasting is very beneficial. It's I'm going to give up something to focus more intently on prayer. I'm going to, to withstand from something. I'm going I'm to pull something away and, 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 and spend more time with God. In fact, Jesus is the only one of three, Moses and Elijah, the other two that we see fast for 40 days in the Bible. And, and maybe this is a way that this ties both the 40 days of fasting to the 40 years of of the wilderness in Israel and the idea that they were, they were wandering for 40 years and they come out victorious. Well, Jesus comes into this 40 days of temptation and comes out victorious as, as, as the new covenant that we have in him. So it's a tie there. But either way, I guess the question I would have for you real quickly is on fasting. Um, a lot of times, one of my mentors said to me, the best thing to do is to, to figure out what is something that you need and maybe you should fast from it if it's not God. So if you need coffee, I, oh, I know I said it, I said it. But if you have to have coffee and you cannot exist and you, you actually excuse your attitude because you haven't had your coffee yet, might be a good inclination that you may need to fast from it. Just, just want to say it. Maybe it's, for us in the social media, maybe it's fa fasting from Facebook. Spend a little less time looking at there and spend a little bit more time chewing on God's word. I, don't, I understand like there's a million things and none of those are evil in themselves. But sometimes God may be calling you for a deeper, more intimate relationship and sometimes we need to get rid of we need to fast some of the fluff around us to get to kind of the root of where he's taking us. Okay, so the three temptations. The first one is an obvious one. There's a need. Jesus is hungry. I used to laugh when I saw this. He's, he didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. It's like, thanks, Matthew. I didn't figure that one out. Like, that makes a lot of sense. But this is really key because, because this is a need that's present. And I think a lot of times in our lives, our temptations and our struggles, there is a present need. 
There is a present need that needs to be solved. I am in pain and I would love to be healed. I am sick and I would love to be healthy. I am broke and I would love to have money. There's some actual need present that if we're not careful can become a way for you and I to lose our identity in who Christ is. So, so the first one is a need. You're hungry. And so Satan essentially coming to him is like, why would the Son of God, why would the Son of God be so hungry? Like, are, like he's literally questioning, are you truly the Son of God? Like really, because God was gracious to the Israelites and they were so rebellious. And yet he gave them manna from heaven. He brought them manna from heaven. Why, why are you hungry? And so he's questioning the identity of Christ. Like, look, if you're really, really the son of God, if this is really the case, then, then those stones should be bread for you. And what he's doing is he's trying to get Jesus to say, you know what? You're right. These stones should be bread. And I, I'm, I deserve that. I'm the son of God. And, and, and claim his own identity in something that he does or something that he's doing. And, and Jesus' response is, is beautiful. He responds with the, the very inclination that Satan is pushing at the manna from heaven. He talks about Deuteronomy 8, 3, which is essentially my food is, is to do the will of the Father, or John 4, 34 is what that says. But he tells him we don't live on bread alone. No, we don't live on that. Like bread, is, bread sustains a physical need, but, but what we live on is every single word of the mouth of God. We live on that, not on food. See, our, 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 our desire, our need to be fed is way less important physically than it is spiritually. And Jesus responds to that and says, look, no one's doing this. He knows who he is and doesn't let circumstances change his identity. He knows he's the son of God. He's not confused by that. He doesn't allow a circumstance to change that or to take that away. And I think this is, this is look, outside of alcohol and all the other temptations and sin and struggle that we battle with, this is one of the biggest ones I think the enemy loves to do to us, which is doubt our identity in Christ. He loves to attack us and say, well, if you really were, if you really were a follower of Jesus, if you really were his disciple, you wouldn't be struggling with that. You would be a better mom. You would be a better follower of him. You wouldn't fail at this again. You would be a better husband. If you really were a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't be sick. If you really were a follower of Jesus, and he puts all this doubt in our identity, and it's like, oh, you're right, I need to do more, or I need to do this. And we start making our identity about what we do and not who we are in Christ, in Christ alone. He attacks us at our identity. And if our identity isn't founded on I am righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done, then I'm going to fall short every time and I'm going to live in shame. I messed up again. I'm a, I'm a horrible sinner. I just deserve to be beat up. But when my identity is in Christ, it's like, no, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am knit together in my mother's womb. I am here for a purpose. And that heavenly father, that amazing God, is drawing me out to, so that I can call him husband. He's drawing me to relationship. He's stripping me of false idols and I can stand before him, I am nothing, I'm not worthy, but in Christ, I am pure, I am white as snow, and I'm righteous, and I am his child. I'm his child. So, so it is written that we don't need to live on, on food. We need to live on the word of God. And if you don't know the word of God, if you don't spend any time in the word of God, you're not going to really understand your identity in, in Christ. 
You're not going to really understand who you are. And, and I'm not saying, oh, I've read the Bible once. I'm saying, get in and, and apply these verses to you. Moms, stop beating yourself up. You're ruining your kids. Our moms were ruined us. Like, it's just a cycle. We're going to continue to ruin our kids. But in Christ, you're, 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 you're amazing. In Christ, you're, you're exactly who you need to be. And his spirit is in you, making you more and more and more like him. So it's no wonder that today we're going to not look just like him, but tomorrow we should look a little bit more like him. And that's not us doing anything, but his spirit inside of us taking us there. See, the truths we need to recognize in the word of God about who Christ is and who we are, if we don't have those implanted in us, we can't answer it is written when these lies come to our head. We can't answer that. We will, we will fall every time. If we don't know this, we won't be able to answer it. The second test is, is um, a need needs to be created. And so Satan, we don't know necessarily how Jesus and him are going about, but, but they, they kind of, we know they started in the wilderness. Well, now they're at the, the pinnacle of the temple, which actually, this is a picture from when I was there. This is modern day. But that, that wall, if you follow it over the, all the way over there, that's the southeast corner. That would be the pinnacle of the temple. The Kidron Valley, which is right there because Jerusalem's been conquered, destroyed, and rebuilt so many times, it's like a lot lighter. That would be about a three to 400 foot drop in Jesus' day. And so that's the pinnacle he's at. And they're saying, okay, this is this, you know, jump off here and, and, and test, test God. Like if you're really the son of God, he's not going to let the angels let you get hurt. And assuming there'd be people present because it was in the city in Jerusalem and, it, and there was a bunch of people in place. But basically what Satan does is he uses Psalm 91 way out of context. He takes scripture and puts it and just bends it the whole wrong direction. It's a blatant misquote to try and attack Jesus, which is funny to me because we know that Jesus in the New Testament is called the Word. Like he's actually called the Word, but, but Satan uses the Word to try and bend it a different way and to take him off. And essentially what he's doing is he's demanding proof that he is the Messiah. See, because if he, if he did that, if he jumped off, God would step in and save him, and therefore he proved it. And here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's a, it's a test, and Jesus obviously responds with Deuteronomy 6, 16, like you don't put God to the test. We see that, right? He, he tells him that. But, but here's the thing. We always want proof with God. We always want proof. Like we're, we're, he's, he's demanding cessational proof, and it's not, that is not evidence of faith, but evidence of doubt. So in your life, if you're demanding proof from God, it's not that you believe in who he is, it's that you doubt in who he is. You doubt in his power. In fact, we see that in, in John 12, 37. Jesus telling like, look, I did millions of miracles and still they don't believe. So let's put that on us. Do you doubt the power of God in your life? Some of you are in a hard situation and you, you keep going, I don't, I'm just not sure that he's in control up there. Like maybe he forgot and, you know, missed my stop. I'm not sure what's going on. And you start doubting who he is and his, his providential care and his power. And so you start going, well, maybe I should do this. I should just take matters into my own hand. I'll, I'll take care of this. And that doubt of God is, is, is not what we want. In fact, in our own lives, in our own lives, so many of us, and you've asked, I've asked this question, God, I just want to see you in X, fill in the blank, whatever it is. But if you stop for just a moment and thought back that if, if you are in Christ, if you, if you would claim to be a disciple of Jesus, that in and it of itself is an immense miracle. That is, that is an, an amazing display of, of, in my life, it is an amazing display of God's power that I'm not the old Bren that I used to be. That, that should be enough. But I know, like, I, I won't come out and say, well, God, I'm going to test you. Here's the test, but I'll do it differently. It's like, God, 
um, I'm going to do all these things over here, so will you take care of that? God, I, I, if I do X, will you take care of this? Or God, um, I, I really want this relationship, so I'm going to go ahead and start this relationship, and, and will you make it work along the way? And essentially what we're doing is we're saying, no, I, I don't trust in your power, God. I don't trust in your power. Look, it doesn't matter how, how, how honorable or how good the thing that we're looking for, or how important the thing that we, we want, you're not to test God. We're not to test God. See, testing God is doubting him, and to doubt God is to not trust him, and to not trust him leads us to sin. So you've you got to ask yourself this question. Are you being tempted right now with, with his power? I, I want to say this because pastors in my place love to use this verse. Ma- Malachi 3 talks about the one way you can test God. It's with your tithe. It's with your money. They, pastors love that one, right? But the whole context of that test was, had nothing really to do with money but everything to do with, hey, you're in a hard spot. You want rain? Trust me. Stop trying to hold up and store for yourselves what you need in case the drought continues and just trust me. Give your full tithe and I will make it rain. It had nothing to do with with necessarily money, but that was the means. It had everything to do with the fact that we need to trust God. Trust him. See, if Jesus did do this, if he would have jumped, he would have put his will and his judgment above the Father's. He said, no, my way is better. His power isn't as good as mine because I can take this on. I got this. Take matters into our own hands. I think this is, this is really interesting. We always ask people when, they, when they're trying to experience some life situation, whether it's should we get pregnant, should we move, should we, should we have children, should we um, go to this college or that college, um, a common question that, that my wife and I will always ask is, well, have you heard from God yet? Have you heard from God? And, and the reason why is because we, both Jen and I and every other person, we move so fast that we never, ever, ever stop and go, God, is this your plan? I mean, I, I want this. I, I think it's good, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm stepping here, but, but what if, is, 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 is it plan? Like, God isn't in, in control. Like, again, like, we feel like God has lost the steering wheel in our life. We've got to trust God with our life, trust him with our circumstances. So some of you, this is very applicable. You're in the wilderness, and you don't like it, and you're squirming, and you want a way out, and God's saying, no, no, no. I'm going to plant vineyards in your heart here in this dry, desolate place. No, 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 don't you run. Don't you run. You're going to come out not just calling me master, but calling me husband. I'm going to bring you into a more intimate relationship than you've ever been with me. So do you trust God's plans? Can you trust his plans? Again, we have to go back to square one. Look, we have his plans unfolded in front of us through Jesus Christ. We see the messed up brokenness. We see the fall. It's all in front of us, and we see how he is fixing it, how he is renewing it. Why would you think that that just is some blanket thing and doesn't apply to you personally? His plans are good. He's not lost in your life. He's not confused or perplexed on where you're going. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful, and it does not change today. And the last test, or the last temptation that Satan comes to him is with worship. Satan offers him. Somehow he gives him a vision of all the kingdoms, and like we talked about last week, this was a shortcut to God's plan. This was a shortcut. He says, if you worship me, I will give you these kingdoms. Both Satan and Jesus knew that he had to endure the cross and the kingdoms were his. 
He knew what he had to go through. And so Satan says, if you, if you worship me, and Jesus obviously quotes De- Deuteronomy 6.13. It says it everywhere, 1 Samuel, all over. But so worship God only. Serve him only. No one else. Nothing else. Now, this is where I ask the question in, in our lives. What, first off, what is worship? What, is it, what does worship mean? It, it's, it's bowing down. It's, it's believing that something else is going to give you something, and therefore it deserves all of your ev- energy, effort, and time. Now, said that way, there could be a lot of things that you and I spend time, energy, and effort on. And Satan's saying, don't, you know, just worship me and I'll give you. And here's the thing about anything, anything in our life, job, marriage, relationship, school, we think that that will bring something. So therefore, we put all our eggs in what it promises when really it promises a lie. True joy is not found in relationships or school or money. Joy can come from that, but true joy is only found in Christ, in Christ alone. So we're called to worship Him. We move on to worshiping something else because we believe that we can get something, what we want from it. We believe the lies. It's not bad to want love. It's not bad to chase love and you're lonely. I get that. That's not bad, but it's what you do in that process. It's, it's, it's how you forget that you have true love in Christ. It's not bad to want a good job and to provide for your families, but how do you get there? Is it in his timing? We, we are, we think this book is about us, and it's not. We're like third person in this story. Not even that, maybe fourth. God has plans. He's, he's, he's renewing all things. His kingdom is coming here now, and he's invited us to be a part of it, and he's made you into something that you weren't, and, and he may very, very well move you into a wilderness. He may take you to a dry, desolate place, but know that he doesn't leave you there. Know that he gives you his spirit the whole time there, and he gives you his word implanted on your heart that will save your souls and bring you through that. So then Jesus shows his power, and again, we'll do this over and over and over again in Matthew. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the Lord. He is God. If you doubt any of those things, you doubt all of Christ. But he shows his power in front of Satan. When Satan finally says, worship me, it was too much. He's like, be gone. And Satan has to obey him. He leaves him. And then Matthew throws in one of his, and behold, (laughs) which is pay attention, the angels from heaven came down and ministered to him, which is another reason why I would think that God or Jesus is the Messiah is because the angels actually came out of their place of worshiping God and came down and ministered to him. And we don't know what he did but we know that he probably helped him with his physical stuff and food and what they, what they did in helping him. But here's what we do know. In God's timing, they showed up and met every need that Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. See, in God's timing, they came and they, they fed him and they cared for him and they ministered to him. Just like you, in God's timing, you'll see the light in that. In God's timing, you'll see his plan unfold. It just takes a little bit more patience. It takes a lot more of this. A lot less of my flesh and a lot more of his spirit. So here's this text. is this text of tempting and, and testing. And I, it would, I would be silly to not assume that every single one of us in this room are dealing with some kind of test, trial, temptation, struggle, battle. It's life. We're all probably doing it. We're, we wrestle with our identity. We wrestle with loving our children. We wrestle with whatever... With, with where we're at in, in, in school or work. We wrestle with the poor choices we made a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Some of us are wrestling with life and death stuff. 
And so I understand that in, in this moment, like you see this, we have a way through this. Like I said, it's very applicable. Jesus shows us how to get through these temptations and shows us how to deal with them. But I, I'd be kind of ignorant to not assume that we probably should deal with some of the stuff that's going on in this room. And so what we're gonna do to end the sermon today, to end, end this day, is we're gonna actually take communion. I see communion is, is an opportunity for all of us to stop and, and remember who Jesus is and what he's done. The, the band's gonna come up and sing a song for us in a second, but, but what, what we're gonna do is, is we're gonna we're going to be reminded that in Romans 5.8 it says that while we were yet sinners, he came and died for us. While we were at our worst, he died for us to set this in motion. And, and if you are in Christ, you're definitely not at your worst. In Christ, you're at your best. I'm done with that. Just kidding. So what we're going to do in communion is we're going to spend this time, and I want to, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge each of you to spend a little bit of time, that word remember me is where we get our amnesia from. Like, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Don't forget that Jesus is doing for you. He is your advocate. He is your king. Don't forget what he is, his promises of, 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 of what his word tells us. Don't forget, don't forget who he is. Spend this time remembering. And, and what happened in, in, in communion is that Jesus did it with his disciples. He sat him at the table. He even broke bread with the one that was about to betray him. And he basically said, you, you, this, body, this bread is my body. It's broken for you. This, this body is bruised and damaged and broken for you, for me. And here's the best part. No matter what struggle, no matter what trial, no matter what temptation, no matter what failure you had, his blood was shed so that you and I could be righteous, so that you and I could be in a right standing with God, not by anything we did, but because of his blood. It's because of him spilling his blood, his body being broken, we get to do communion. We get to celebrate life. We get to celebrate what he's done for us. So as we, as we sing this song, I just would encourage you to spend some time. Maybe there's something that you need to confess, something you need to let go of. Maybe you've been carrying too long. The, the enemy's been beating you down, and you really do believe the lies that you're not a child of God. Maybe you'd believe the lies that, that he doesn't have a plan for your life or that he is not powerful enough to help you through what you're going through. Maybe it's just flat out you know I've struggled and struggled and struggled. Lay it down. It doesn't, it's not meant for you to carry it. It actually belongs on the cross. All of it belongs on the cross. So as we, as we play this song, I would just encourage you, lift that up. Spend some time. Look at the words of these songs. You can't, you can't sing these words and not mean it. Like this is this is this is our refuge. He's our He's our safe place. He is our He's our fount. He's our life. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for showing and giving us a way in and through the wilderness, God. Thank you for never forsaking us, never leaving us, never abandoning us. God, thank you for your work. Thank you for the fact that we get to even celebrate a body that is broken and blood that is spilled. It seems so weird, but God, it's so incredibly beautiful. If it were not for that, we would not have a right standing with you. We would not have ability through the wilderness. We would not have freedom in you. And if, it not, if it were not for this, we wouldn't be able to lay down all of our messed up stuff at the cross knowing that you have taken it and you've given us grace that is so sufficient no matter where we are. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your work on the cross and that that isn't done. God, that you're still working in each of us, that you're not done with any one of us. And that none of us is out of your reach. None of us is too far gone. 
God, I pray for amazing victories this week. I pray that your word would be desirable by each of our hearts, God, that we would want to devour it. We want to chew on it. We want to spend time getting to know who you are and more of your character, God. God, that we wouldn't allow false teaching or, or misquoted scripture to send us array, God, but that we would truly dig in and that your spirit would, would show us who you are more and more and more. Father, may we be faithful followers of you by your spirit leading us. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.